Welcome to the C3V podcast. He wanted them to have a revival of his Holy Spirit. He wanted them to start their hearts back up and get their feet going with the power of the, of the Spirit and the fullness of its gifts. He says this, I know your works, but you have a reputation of being alive and you're dead. You see, we can, we can make it look like we have it all together. That's literally the pur- purpose of so- social media. You show the best and you hide the rest. Right? That's what we do. Oh, look how great we are. In this three-second gap when I took my photo, it was wonderful. But we don't show people the before and the after, the fighting, the arguments, the scratching, the screaming, the punching, the swearing, all the things that go to a nice family day out. (laughs) That's, we just show the best (laughs) and we hide (laughs) the rest. But Jesus is saying, I know you, I've got a reputation, like I want to revive you. I want to come with my power and I want to, I don't want to see you die I want to see you revived. When, a, a number of years ago now, I don't know, 15, where I just keep reflecting on years and the number that seems big now, not good. And maybe it was that, and, and we had uh, splashed out into our first full foray of owning a pet as a family. And we got a goldfish. Oh no, responsibility overload. And I think I actually think it was around the time that, that Ethan was born and uh, we were moving from West Van to North Van and, uh, you know, the kids were, were uh, the kid at that time, were pumped on the gold, goldfish, you know, I've got a goldfish, can't remember its name, it really had an impact on my life. And so uh, we, we, we birthed a son and we moved house. And then a couple of days after... Um, a little voice brought up about the goldfish. Dad, where's the fish? Now, this is a, it was a good question at the time because I had no idea. Where was the fish? Then it occurred to me that we moved and we left the fish behind. (laughs) There was crying. The fish, not the fish. Go, you got to go get the fish. So I drove back to West Van, uh, burst into the house, and there was the fish floating. Would be best thing. But if you poked it, it kind of swum again, and would then float back up again. <laughs> the goldfish had a reputation of being alive. But he was dead. So now, now it, it, br- it brought another question to my mind. How do you revive a goldfish? You can't do mouth to mouth. You can't like electric shock him. So I scooped up the fish in the bowl and drove across the North Shore, driving with one hand and kind of flapping in his bowl. Come on, buddy, you can do it. You can live again. I was trying to revive a goldfish. And when I got home, the word was, is the fish alive? Because that was the reputation it had. But unfortunately, 
We flushed him. (laughs) 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 What? Fail that to be serious. (laughs) Here it comes. I've got you distracted with dying gold on fish that floating in the bowls. Come on, buddy. Come on, buddy. You can do it. Come on. Stupid Glenn. Was there a moment when you had a reputation of being alive? When you prayed the prayers with the best of them? When in a meeting you would prophesy and the heavens would open? When you worshipped and you heard angels singing? Was there a time when you had a reputation of being alive, but now? But now? You see, last week, the Jesus had to reinforce with the church that no matter the circumstances that you're in right now, no matter the situation, no matter the current outlook, no matter how it is or what it was, Jesus stood there and said, my promises still remain. The door is still open. And it was Jesus himself saying, I hold that door open. That we said sometime that we can go through a season where we had a reputation of being alive. It looks all great, but internally it's a mess. Internally you know, no, I'm dead. I look alive, but spiritually I'm struggling. But Jesus is more concerned with your destination than your current location. It's not, a, it's not a room for sin, but it's a room for grace. Earlier back to one of the chapters, he says, I've given you room for repentance. Jesus is saying, I'm creating all the space you need. You've got a reputation of being, you feel like you're dying on the inside, but it's my spirit that revives. It's the spirit that brings life. And just get yourself in that thing. I'm creating all the room and all the time for repentance and all the room for grace and all the time for my spirit to re-infuse you with life. You see, he's writing to the people of, of Severus. And it's because, you know what? They've just become too chill. They've become too relaxed. They were taking it easy. Their city before the Philadelphia one was built on a fault line terrible place to build a place, the sardines built themselves their their place, their house, their temple was built 1,500 feet above sea level. It was impregnable. It was undefeatable. So there was no urgency. They had watchmen on the walls. They didn't do anything. It was all chill. No one can get to us. They can't beat us up here. We're too great. We've got nothing at all to worry about. And they were undefeatable until they were defeated. And when the men finally climbed the walls, when they worked out the way to get up the mountain, when they said, when the ones that were on the ground said, you know what, they might say it's undefeatable, but I'll show them. When they got to the top, they found a people who weren't ready to fight. They found a people that were totally just chillaxing, just taking it easy. No, it's the worst. They had become content. 
And when the enemy took over, when the enemy defeated them, the first thing they did was they took away all their weapons and then they enforced a law where the men would have to play the lyre and dance. They took away weapons and said, no, you can play stringed instruments and dance around if you like. Because the enemy will always try and make you a shadow of your former self. He will come in when you're content, when you think you don't have to worry about. And the first thing, he starts removing things so you just become a shadow of what you used to be. That you have a reputation of being alive, but really, you're dead. You see, we're coming out of a season where it's been so easy not to. It's been easy not to come to church. It's been easy not to find yourself in his presence. We've become content with how things were. But Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Hey, Timothy, stir up the flame. Breathe on the coals. Rekindle what you had. Don't let those coals go out. Don't be content with the fire that you once had. Let my presence blow on the coals of your spiritual life. You know, Tim Timothy may have got stagnant or perhaps his gift was running on empty, but it wasn't lost. So was there a time when you had a fire? But now, what do you need to stir up? What do you need to rekindle? What do you need to refill here this morning? What do you need to revive here this morning? Because like we were singing before, revival is in the air. And Jesus calls out to his church. He says, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. And he says this, so wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. That word there can transfer to be watchful. It was a cry to them, stop being content and wake up. I put this, Jesus calls out to the church, wake up, and sets off the alarm clock of revival. There's no more snooze button. There's no more five more minutes, mum. We had a running joke in my family because my dad loved this show called Beyond 2000. Beyond 2000 was like a technology show that they showed in the 90s. I, you know, I never saw an iPhone on there. Missed that one, guys. Anyway, but my dad used to love that show. It was his favorite. If you asked him what his favorite show was, he would say this, Beyond 2000. And every Wednesday night at 7.30, he would position himself on the couch to watch his favorite show. And by 7.35, he was asleep. Come on, we've got to wake up. We've got to wake up. There was God, Jesus is saying, hey, it's time for you to be revived. It's time for you to wake up. No more snoozing on my watch. No more hitting the button. I just got 25 alarms set and somewhere I'll wake up in the morning. Stop hitting the snooze. He's saying, wake up, wake up. Wake up. He's saying you need to take better care of your spiritual lives because it's the spirit that revives. There's a story of a child in 2001 in Michigan in the midst of a winter storm one night. It was below zero. And the family woke up and they couldn't find their two two-year-old. 
and the two-year-old had looked out the window and seen the snow and wanted to be outside. And they left, and by the time the, fi- the, the family found the child, there was no more signs of life. There was no, there was no heartbeat. There was no brain thing. By the time the doctors got there, they realized there was even no brain activity at all. But the doctors didn't give up hope. And the doctors thought, well, maybe if we could just pump a warm IV into the child, maybe something would start to happen. So they hooked up an IV and they started to pump warm into her, into him. Sorry. See, because it's, it's about, it revives. And then slowly, of a sudden, the blood started to pump around the body. And the child was revived. What looked like dead, what looked like lost, looked like no more activity was suddenly revived. And the doctor said this, man, that boy must have an amazing spirit inside of them. I want to tell you this morning that you have an amazing spirit inside of you. It's waiting there to be revived. It's waiting to be rekindled. Blow on the coals of the spiritual life inside you. It's not lost. It's not over. It's not gone. It's not finished. There's an amazing spirit inside of you. It was the same that God said to Ezekiel, and we sung it in the song before. I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. You see, it was... It was a worker revival. This wasn't God creating something new. This is God reviving what was and saying it can be again. It may have been dead for a long time, but I can revive it. And I love that that story happened in a valley because we think that, oh, I'm going through a valley. Nothing good can come out of the valley. But God takes him into the valley. He takes him into the place of of battle. He takes him into the place that was defeat. He takes him into a place that was known for death. And in the midst of the valley, God says, can these bones live? Because sometimes that the situation that we see doesn't match the words that we've heard. And God drops us right in the midst of it and says, can they live? Can I revive what is dry? And Ezekiel answers God's question, not with words, but with action. And it says, so I prophesied. There was no argument. There was no pause. There was no, well, what about... It was just, God said, can they live? And I prophesied. You see, our revival starts with an action. Whether it's sing, O barren woman whether it's let us bring up the ark again, whether it's one who runs on ahead so he can see Jesus coming, whether it's casting your net onto the other side, there's an action that is involved with revival. And here, Jesus' calls on the church, and the action here is this, strengthen what remains. Strengthen what remains. You see, we've gone through a a global sea season that is focused on what has been lost. Probably no, probably for my generation on where we haven't experienced war, we haven't felt that loss. But for us, man, it's been all about what you lost, what you missed out on, what didn't happen. We've lost family. We've lost friends. You might have lost your job. You might have lost your health. You might have lost opportunities. You might have had things happening and they all got shut down and we can get so stuck 
and focused on what was lost. But God's call to action says, don't focus what is on lost, focus on what remains. Strengthen what remains. Isaiah had to say like this in Isaiah, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. I'm doing something new. Don't focus on what was. Focus on what's coming. Strengthen what you have now. It's like you too said, you can get stuck in a moment that you can't get out of. You can get stuck in the lost. Stuck focusing on what it was. And even then, for them, it wasn't necessarily negative things. You see, God's saying, forget what I used to do. This is why. Because getting them out of Egypt wasn't the greatest miracle that God ever wanted to do for them. And sometimes God needs to remove some old so he can put in some new. But our greatest barrier to what God wants to do in our life can be what he's already done. That we can stay so focused on the good old days that we miss the new thing, the behold. Behold literally means stand in awe and be amazed at what I'm about to do. Stand in awe and be amazed about what I can do with what remains. To this little bit, that little thing that you're holding on to, be amazed at what I can do. Even Paul had to say, I just forget what's behind me and I just press on. I've got to let that go. It was lost, it was taken, it was stolen, it was... I've got to just let it go and I've got to focus on what I do have. You see, no matter what greatness that lies behind you, whether it be provision, whether it be miracles, or it be healings, there are greater things in front of you. And this, this is what I know. Your future is never behind you. Never. And God says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. I'm doing a new thing. Hear that? That word strengthen, it means to give support and commitment to something. It was best used to describe someone walking with a cane. Maybe your spiritual muscles need to go through a bit of a spiritual rehab. Maybe you need to put some support and commitment into what you once had, into what remains. It may not be functioning the way it used to. It may be a little withered. It may be underused. It may have been hurt. It may have been injured. But God's saying, oh, I will strengthen what remains. That little bit that you have is enough. Jesus tells us, oh no, here, so strengthen. Maybe it's just worship. Maybe your little remains, you don't know how it is, but this is what I find. We get into worship. Suddenly things begin to revive. And we begin to strengthen something that remains. We get into his word. And his scripture starts to speak to us. Into our situation and our circumstance. And we begin to strengthen something that remains. We get into prayer and we say, God, I don't even know the words. I don't even know if I want to talk to you right now. But as we journey it out, we find that something strengthens what remains. And Jesus tells us to strengthen those things, to focus on what you have. Focus on what remains. 
In 2 Kings, we see the the story of Elisha with the widow and she comes to him and she says, hey, hey, prophet, hey, man of God, hey, Lord, I don't know if you know what's going on, but your servant is dead. My husband, gone. Everything that I had, all my worth, all my security, all my future is dead. It's gone. She's focused on what was. But the prophet says this. What do you have? What is it that you do have? What what remains? You think everything's gone, but what remains? It's all, all hope is gone. Yeah, but all it's, it will remain. She says this, I've got nothing. Except, except a jar of oil. And that can have, be how we are. God, I feel like I've lost everything. And I've got nothing. Except I can lift my voice to you. Except I can read your word. Sometimes I think except, maybe that except is equal to faith. God, nothing remains except this little bit of faith that I have. This little bit of spirit. I've got nothing. But the little that remains is more than enough for God. And God wants to pour out His Holy Spirit oil on what remains. He wants to pour oil on your except because it's a spirit who gives life. Maybe he's calling us to shift our focus from what is gone to what remains. You see, it was what remained that was the doorway to her future. It was the what remains that was the solution for her family problem. It was what remained that probably affected her neighbours because she was able to go and sell. It was what remained that actually probably would have affected the whole city that she was in. It was what remained that has been the inspiration to future generations that we can stand here today and still talk about her accept, her oil, all that she had left is still getting talked about today around the globe, probably not just me, but there's probably countless messages in churches around the world talking about a widow's what remains because she decided to strengthen what she had. You see, because it's his, it's his Holy Spirit that is the source of healings and miracles and deliverances and salvations. It's the Spirit that led to the birth of the church in the book of Acts and 3,000 saved. It's the Spirit that has been at work through reformations and great awakenings from Azusa Street to blessings in Toronto. It was the Spirit at work because Jesus said it's the Spirit who gives life. It's the Spirit that revives. You see, I'd use that scripture, John 6, 663 there, and Jesus says it's the Spirit who brings life, but just three verses later, only three, in verse 66, it says this, and after many of his disciples turned their back and no longer walked with him, and Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Peter says this, where would we go? I'll remain. Where would we go? I'll remain. 
You see, it doesn't take remarkable people for God to use. It takes remaining people. People who say, where else would I go from your presence, God? What else would you have me do, God? I'm struggling here and there's not much left in me, God, but I will strengthen what remains. You have my heart. I'm going to be a pillar in your presence. I'm going to plant myself in your house, God. I'm going to let your spirit do the work of reviving. Where else would I go? It's you. It's you. You see, and when all seems lost and all seems taken through storms, floods, or droughts, people of his presence, they remain in his presence. You see, our lives can look messy or disorganized or weathered, but if we keep ourselves a pillar in his presence, we strengthen what remains. And Jesus says this, for I've not found your works complete. And it's easy to think that he's saying there, come on, you've got a job to do. You know, your works aren't complete. But this isn't some spiritual job fair that Jesus has run for me. He says this, your works aren't complete. It's, the, it's almost the wrong word. If you translate the greed, it's this. Your works aren't filled with my spirit. You see, the sardines were out here playing church. Can't help myself, I'm sorry. They were saying the things that they were meant to say. They were, they were acting the role, but there was, there was no spirit of God at work amongst them. They were content. They were a product of just human ability and not the spirit's ability. And Jesus told them, your works are not complete. You need to fill something up. It's like a pouring of a bottle so it's overflowing. You see, when we're having our works complete means we're totally filled with the presence and the power of the Spirit. And this is what I know. God has a history of filling the empty. Because empty doesn't stop His presence and empty doesn't stop His promise. Just look at the first 12 chapters of Acts. They're dominated by one was a broken, disappointed, despondent Peter. But his spirit filled up the empty. Look at Jacob, who was at his lowest point, but God filled him up. And on the other side of him were the 12 tribes of Israel. Zechariah was broken. To God, doubtful. God, how could you ever do what you said that you're going to do. But on the other side of him, when God filled his empty, was John the Baptist. Abraham had tried to do it his way too. God, we're old and we've missed it. But when God filled him on the other side was a great nation. David made some of the most foolish decisions that a man could ever make. But on the other side of him was a son who's known as wisdom. There was a woman at a well who'd had relationship breakdown after breakdown after breakdown. But when God filled her empty, it was a city that was changed. Paul was so full of religion that he didn't even realize 
that he was he was empty. But on the other side of him was revival. And that verse in 2 Kings that we looked at with Elisha, it says, and the prophet said this, bring me another vessel. And he said, and, and he said to her, there is not another. And the oil stopped flowing. Oil can only pour out why they're empty vessels to fill. You see, it's us bringing out what remains. It's us bringing our accept. It's us bringing our empty vessel. That is our part that we get to play. But the flowing of oil, the reviving of spirit, that is God's part. And all revivals are experienced by the filling of empty. I feel like we need a little bit of a Holy Spirit gas station where you can pull up your accept, where you can pull up your what remains. You can pull up your empty vessel and God can begin to pour out his oil into us. Verse 3, I'm just getting in, but verse 3 says this, remember what you have received and heard. He's already given us the gift of this spirit. We just need to revive it. Thanks for listening to the C3V podcast. To find out more about our church, visit us at c3v.ca.